Crunch Radio, and today in the studio we have Brennan, aka the Riz. We got Hank, and we got Jody. Of course, we got uh, Tony and Kathy are on holiday, so you got the hmm. three of us. And today we have some groovy stuff to tackle. Brennan's going to talk about Batman soundtracks for the last half of the show. Super pumped about that, and there's so much that will like fit it into the next episode. Hank's going to talk about the modern concert-going experience, and I'm going to fill you in on absolute carnage the hot comic that just came out this week so hank you take us away first um what spurned this topic as you all know i'm a pretty big deal so Mm -hmm. i invited myself to buy a ticket to the uh marilyn manson rob zombie concert out at the uh the sass place or the what do we call it sastel center now for the young folk Uh, brennan you were there too yeah right what uh what, what did you think of the show i liked the opening band a lot i really enjoyed them Overall, Pal- it was Palais Royale. Palais Royale, I believe. Yeah. yeah, there was. It had its ups and downs as the night went on, but it was a decent show all the way through. It had its uh, ups and downs because uh, Rob Zombie and uh, John Five and company, along with Palais Royale, uh, were true professional rock stars, and they went out there and put on a show because everybody paid money to go. And then, as expected, uh, Marilyn Manson phoned it in. Oh. Couldn't really understand what he was talking about. Weird costume changes where everybody's left in the dark and the band isn't playing. They're just sitting there. But I understand that last time he was here, he uh, had a lot of... Um, he consumed a lot of things uh, that ended up all over the stage, I guess, and they had to cancel the show. So I think this time he actually made it through, I think, the whole set that he intended to play. So it's a step up. That's so that was pretty good. So. Uh, but I do think that the profits from uh, that Marilyn Manson himself made from the show, maybe if he dished it out to the opening band and then maybe to his <laughs> bandmates, um, because he doesn't deserve... Doesn't deserve a penny. Um, so, anywho, I was shocked when I went in, and again, this has happened several times in the last few years, there were no tickets sold to this concert. The entire upper deck was blocked off with curtains. Uh, you were down uh, in the pit there. Half the floor was full, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people at the show, uh, which kind of um, it kind of shocked me because uh, I know they've been around forever, but you think a few more people might might venture out to see it. Um, so I've been to many concerts at, uh, at the SAS Place or SASTEL Center, and um, a lot of them have suffered from having a, a plethora of empty seats. Metallica was full, Katy Perry was full, but then you get the stuff that's in between, and not a, not a lot of tickets being sold. So I think uh, in Saskatchewan, and uh, I don't know what you guys think, but I'll ask in a second, that maybe um, when you get a Garth Brooks concert that... It's just sold out in seconds. They were just making a big deal. And then a whole bunch of other concerts that don't. There's some people in Saskatchewan that are going to say, oh, well, they're not Garth Brooks, so it's not the right kind of music for Saskatchewan. I don't think that's true. I've heard people say that, that that's why the tickets are down, but that is, it's not true. But the internet agrees with me because I looked it up. And ticket sales worldwide are down 29% and almost as much in North America um, this year as compared to the same time last year, which 29%, that's a lot of tickets. That is a lot lot. of tickets. Um, Several years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that would be unheard of, but now 29%. So my question is, why are ticket sales down? Is it because the ticket prices have gone up 
or there's many discounts and upgrades at the last minute that they're dishing out. Um, I found a quote to New York Times. How are we going to get people to buy tickets ahead of time when there's so much deep discounting going on, says Kevin Lyman, promoter of the Vans Warp Tour. At the venues, they're hawking $10, $20 tickets, and you see kids going, huh? But I paid like $40 for my ticket. I paid $60 for my ticket. What's happening here? That is true at Rob Zombie. I paid $80 for my ticket, 77 something with all the service charges and taxes to people sitting right beside me paid about $40 because they bought tickets to the upper deck. When they didn't sell enough tickets, they got upgraded and moved down. Where now I'm like, I paid double what you did and you're sitting right beside me? That's not cool. Not cool. So now I'm like, only buy tickets upstairs and you'll get upgraded. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. And then just wait and play the odds. And, and just wait that. and go, oh, but make sure you still get a good seat upstairs. Like, not at the very top. Right. But, but the other thing, uh, also uh, the way that people watch a show. So same kind of like what they're talking movie theaters now. <laughs> well, I can watch it at home. So at Zombie, so many people with their phones out filming the entire thing. They're posting it online. So why go? And in my case, put up with Drunky McDrunkerson, who ended up in front of us trying to ruin the entire show for everybody in our section that paid all of the money to go, when you could just watch it on YouTube for free. Um, in the future, I'd like to talk about why people go to shows and do the whole thing on their phones so they're actually looking through the screen. I, I don't get that. But why are ticket sales down and why are more people just staying at home? Well, Jody, I, thoughts? I think there's a lot of things going on here. Um, first of all, I have to say, though, that Drunky McDrunkerson has been going to shows for decades. So that, every, every show seems every to show. be Every show. So show that is not a deterrent. Um, but she's always around me. She's always there. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Well, maybe you just... You and know. the weird thing is, it started <laughs> off where the people in front of us were perfect the whole time. Everybody's having a good time. They're dancing. And then the usher lady comes down and says, wait a second, I think you're in the wrong seat seats and then she let drunky mcdrunkerson come in front because i'm like oh i'm here and you should come sit even oh my goodness sorry i interrupted you okay that's okay drunky okay uh, let's let's not make this personal all right upset. um i think unfortunately it is symptomatic of the music industry in general that there is a lack of respect for the musician and for acts and that is especially true i think of north american audiences there just isn't the tribute that is there in other countries so um, when you can stream your favorite artists for free or for a very small uh, fee every month it, it doesn't feel like anything's coming out of your pocket and then when they come to town and they want a hundred dollars for the show and they want another forty dollars for a t-shirt and then you you know get whatever koozie or whatever else that you buy um, that that adds up and then you go you know to these big arenas and you have to pay like 18 bucks for a beer so people are just kind of like no i'm done with that um i don't mind paying the artists that i love money i'm happy to do so but i go to very few arena shows because um unfortunately our arena is horribly mismanaged when it comes especially to traffic like getting in and getting out of that place is a nightmare so you know if you park by the fences you can get out first but if you don't you're like and and there's nobody controlling anything and and people are mm -hmm. jerks the unkind come well, to these shows you when have they get to behind be like the wheel. You, you have to be ruthless. You look up the set list ahead of time, find out what the last song is, yes. and then, oh, there it is, and then run out, because if not, you're there for two hours. You do. You have to cut out the encore and leave early, and more and more people are starting to do that, so it 
doesn't necessarily work no. as well. Um, it's a sad fact, and um, like there's a really funny Portlandia sketch about like going to shows, and I think part of it is my aging that like I'm just less tolerant of like standing and waiting in lines and like dealing drunk with drunky McDrunkerson. And it's like you know, yeah, I can stay home. I will buy all their albums. I will listen to their albums. I will buy their merch online. But like going to a show like that is a plague it's really difficult it, they have to be somebody like outstanding on my bucket list to like drag me out if it's a club show like you know some of the places in saskatoon like black cat or amigos or whatever it's like yeah i'll go to Boy. those like as long as they don't go on at midnight which is like a whole other issue but like if they're on at a reasonable hour and i can go and enjoy a show for like 20 or 30 bucks i am all over that and then give them money for their you know cds or lps and t-shirts at the merch table done happy to do so gonna do my part but going out to the sask place is a real like tooth puller i don't want to do it and i'll even i, I even like, by further extension just how we even consume our entertainment now so much more because there is streaming and people even go to movies less now you go to theaters and they're big box office hits but sometimes the theater's still half empty Whereas I remember I used to go to a movie and it was an experience, right? So I think there's that inward turn generally with our entertainment. But I think because music has was like the first hit with streaming and things, right? The, oh, I can download the whole, I can get the whole catalog for $2 or I can bootleg it from wherever, you know? So, and so I think there's that residual bit too. Music is different because music is magic. Like mm -hmm. when you're at a show and there are people on a stage that are creating this thing in front of you and it is a singular experience, that particular show will never be made again. That's mm -hmm. magic. Mm -hmm. And to be a part of that is really, really special. But to like go to a movie theater and be like, okay, this isn't like especially great cinematography. Um, I can stay home in my gotch and watch it on my big screen TV and it's a way more comfortable experience. You know, with the uh, experiences I've had of the theater, you could go to the theater in your gotch too. Like, okay. I, I, maybe I, I, everything go, there. I right? so, yeah. Maybe I should start doing that. Yeah. Okay, well, there's some thoughts for you. Some thoughts. So, uh, I think that everybody should go to every concert that they possibly can <laughs> to support their favorite artists. So yes. if they're your favorite artists, you have to go because the majority, as we all know, of artists do not make money from selling their music anymore. Yeah. Um, now, as of uh, 2019, uh, on Apple Music, um, Apple pays 0.00735 cents per song play. And that's to the probably what the record company and then eventually the artist will see some eventually leak down yeah so in america uh an artist needs to have two hundred thousand two hundred and seventy two plays to earn the u.s monthly minimum wage amount so they're not making money from you listening to the song on no. spotify or they're making their money from you going to the concert yeah. and buying the merch so just go to the concert put your phone away buy some merch yeah. Don't we're, be drunky drunkerson. We're not going to talk about the phone thing because that's a real bee in that, my that's bonnet. Next so that's, that's a, next that's time. That's for another day. And I'm sorry to drunky McDrunkerson. You know who you are. Thank you for teaching me the new dance moves, which we have now called the Butter Rex because it's a butterfly combined with a T-Rex. Uh, next time, maybe on Punch TV, Ooh. I might do a little uh, do a little demonstration. I want to see it. There's a, little, there's a little teaser. 
Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Well, on to comics. Um, I'm going to keep this brief. Usually I try to mention a couple of things, but um, this was a blockbuster week. Um, Absolute Carnage came out, and this has been hyped by Marvel for months. And it's going to have like a million crossovers and a bunch of stuff. But I got to say, I read the first issue, and I didn't hate it. So this oh, is this is a very, very encouraging. And I have to say, if you are a Spider-Man or a Venom fan, you are definitely going to want to pick this one up. Um, okay, so here's the skinny on it. And I don't think I'm doing any spoilers or anything. But okay, so here's the setup. So before there was anything else in the universe, there was the god Null. And he liked an empty world. So he created these symbiotes to destroy anything that threatened his nothingness. But surprise, the symbiotes eventually turn against him and their bodies actually form a, fr a prison around him. They thought it was a planet for a while, but it's actually like symbiotes just like gluing around Null to keep him in his place so that he can't do anything. Wow. So like centuries pass, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so now there's a nasty cult, the Cult of Carnage, that wants to free Null. And, of course, they're going to use Carnage to do that. So how does this happen? Okay, so any time that a symbiote bonds with someone, they leave a little trace behind after they leave, something like wrapped around their DNA. And they call that little bit the Codex. And Carnage is now going around and collecting all those trace elements to make himself more powerful in order to reconnect to the hive and hopefully wake up Null. And amongst others, Peter Parker and Eddie Brock are on his shopping list. So in this first issue, there's so much action. There's lots of fighting. There's lots of risk. Definitely the kid in peril trope is played out big time. Um, but the action's actually really well articulated. Um, Ryan Stegman's artwork is good. Um, they didn't super cheap out and have like crappy Photoshop backgrounds. It's decent. And if writer Donny Cates can keep up the pace, I think this series is actually good. I think it's got some promise. Wow. I'm not going to lie. Just based on the title, it's something I would not at all have picked up or looked at. But it's sounds way more interesting than I would have thought. So it, I might have to actually read it now. It is more interesting. And like, I was really happy that it had Peter Parker in it. And it's thick. Like this is like three or four comics worth of content. It's 10 bucks. Mm. So you do pay more for it. But there is so much in here. And I really liked that there wasn't a ton of ads, which is kind of... Uh, yeah, a thorn in my side uh, when it comes to Marvel and DC. I don't usually buy Marvel comics, but yeah, now that uh, you talked about it, I'm going to check that out. Okay. And I if think I had to join a cult, I'd, jo I'd join a cult, cult, cult called Carmi, what, Carnage? There you go. You're going to rip it apart there? Okay, yeah. yeah so I like it. Okay, good stuff. We're all joining. Done. <laughs> Pay your dues. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to throw the baton over to, to Brennan, and uh, let's get started on Batman soundtracks. I mean, we all love them. We all know them. There's a rich history that there's no way that we can even compact into many hours worth. But you're going to give us the condensed version. What's great? Why are you talking about Batman soundtracks today? The inspiration from this whole conversation came from our last episode, um, where I talked about the uh, Cape Crusader by Glenn Whedon. I hope it's the right name. That sounds about right to that me. That sounds right. Sure. Okay. Um, and he was even talking, there was discussion about how uh, Batman has helped change popular culture and just how his fans and fandom have changed from when they started up until modern day. And there was discussion about the music and things. And I thought, you know, it'd be really neat to sit down and just do a quick little conversation about the Batman soundtracks. 
how long would that take? And then I sat down and started to do some actual research. And then I realized how long this actually will take. So thus the part two of this for next week. Um, the nice thing with the Batman soundtracks is just the range of music and the people that have been involved in these projects from, from the beginning. So when people think of comics, they often think, oh, it's a kid's art form, it's that, it's this. It's heavy hitting composers and writers and musicians that end up being part of these, right? So we are going to go right back to the beginning to the Batman theme, which was released in 1966. The composer was Neil Hefty uh, and his orchestra. Um, Neil Hefty is a heavy hitting jazz arranger, composer, mm -hmm. trumpet player. I even, when I was a child, I played the Neil Hefty Jazz Studies workbook. So he has a book on how to play jazz. Um, and he is the one who composed the original theme that we all know, that is one of those earworms that we can never forget. Um, if you randomly walk up to someone on the street and just said na 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 to them they'll probably yell back batman, batman right so if you think of a song that has two lyrics one of them is na na and the other one is batman and the fact that's still within our our culture I, I think is really really amazing in my research i found a song called the batman theme in 19 hefty bat songs where neil hefty writes songs inspired by the Batman show. So they weren't used in the TV show, but it's him doing his take on what could be in the show. Um, and it's great. I think if Quentin Tarantino ever did a Batman movie, he should just use this for the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Now, there also is the exclusive TV soundtrack that was composed by Nelson Riddle, um, and he did all the show music himself. Um, and he orchestrated albums for Ella Fitzgerald back in the 60s, and that one's difficult to find, one of those out-of-print kind of things. So totally. from 1966, we have to jump ahead to 1989, when DC announces we are going to do a new Batman movie directed by a man named Tim Burton. I'm pretty sure that we probably saw that at some point. Maybe you heard about it. It was kind of a thing for I a while. Tim so. Burton, he makes movies. And this was the neat thing with the Batman soundtrack from 1989 is because they released two of them, which was something that hadn't been done up to that point. It was the first time in history they came out with two records for the same movie. One is the Danny Elfman record, 1989, where he does or the orchestral work and he plays that iconic Batman theme that... Everyone seems to remember. And even if you don't, if you think, I don't know any other Batman song except for the na 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 one, when you hear this one, you probably will. It'll come back in, into your subconscious um, or to your conscious from your subconscious. The nice thing, it's a big, dramatic soundtrack from beginning to end. Um, even like the Batman theme kind of starts off a bit more quiet and, and ambient. And then there's that huge swell to the big gong. And then it cuts into this energetic rhythmic staccato section. And it really kind of sets the whole tone for the movie. It's, it's dark, it's brooding. And at the same time, it has this nervous energy to it. But at the same time, in 1989, there was the Prince Batman soundtrack, which when it was released, came with really mixed reactions because movie fans and music fans alike we're thinking, why would Prince make a Batman soundtrack? Like, how would this come to be? Well, it turns out originally that in the original cut of the movie, uh, Tim Burton used 1999 and Baby I'm a Star in some of the scenes. And so he approached Prince and said, Mr. Prince, or however you refer to Prince, <laughs> would you please create a song for the Batman movie coming up? And Prince, being Prince, instead recorded an entire album of new material just for the Batman movie. Uh, the reviews were pretty good overall when it first came out. Um, 
But again, there was that weird confusion, like, should we like this, should we not like it? Whatever you think about the album, or whatever you say about the album, it did spend six weeks at number one on the Billboard char chart, sorry, and sold 11 million copies. 11 million copies. So That's one of the copies. So apparently yeah. someone liked it, and most of us have a copy of this either on LP or tape. Okay. I'm sure in your house. I want to weigh in and say that Prince made it because he is awesome, because he is a prolific artist, and he had just like lots to give, a lot of love to give the world. Um, and also that I feel that this is a prime example of one of the first times when an artist truly gave themselves to a comic book movie. It wasn't just some like lame throwaway score that they got phoned in. It was like, no, here's an artist with true credibility who has made something great for this comic book. And I think it set the bar really high for future endeavors, for all cinema uh, adaptations of comic books afterwards. And that's a good point, talking about how he made it with this integrity in mind, because certain songs are linked to certain characters. So for example, uh, The Future was a Batman song. Electric Chair was the Joker song. The Vicky Waiting was the Bruce Wayne perspective song. Ooh. Lemon Crush was the Vicky Vale song. And then in Bat Dance, it's accredited to all the characters since they're all involved. Bat but there's also another character listed named Gemini. Now, mm -hmm. in the DC universe, do we know of a character named Gemini? Is that a name that rings a bell? Like, I, I, would, I would think Two-Face, right? You would think, and it actually is close. It's Prince's version of Batman and Two-Face. So when you watch the video, uh, Prince has that outfit on that's both-sided, oh, yeah, and yeah. he created his own character to put into the soundtrack itself. So Gemini is a better name than Three-Face. It, it is, actually. You know, that's probably why he, <laughs> why he thought of it. So... Whether that you was good. That was good. Hashtag three face. We're yeah. going to use that I think one. we're going to start right something there. new here. Yeah. So I think, again, mixed reviews, but it aged very well. People have gone back and said this album is really great. Um, so there you go for Prince. One more thing that maybe you didn't know. The original idea, Prince mentioned this in an interview, that it was going to be an album that was a duet between Prince and another well-known pop star, Michael Jackson. <gasps> where Michael Jackson would be doing the, the hero songs, like all the ballads, and all the funk songs would be the villain songs, and that would be Prince. So essentially, Prince would be the Joker, and Michael Jackson would be Batman and, and Bruce Wayne and things. So, wow. And at the time, that would have been so cool. Totally. Prince so, won. Yeah, yeah, there we go. But he did. if you think now Spotify and iTunes people have uh, soundtracks to go with their comics, this was the first time that ever really happened. And it was really groundbreaking for the time. In 1992, Batman Returns, Danny Elfman Returns to the orchestral soundtrack. It's a really good soundtrack front to back, but this one sounds a lot like a Tim Burton, Danny Elfman movie. I would even go so far to say that if it wasn't a Batman soundtrack and you put a different name on it, random Tim Burton movie, it would fit. So whereas the first one was a lot more fitting to the movie, I think this one kind of eases more into the Tim Burton-esque-ness of it. Mm -hmm. And just because of the penguin and the tremor is a bit more creepy and that type mm -hmm. of thing. So now we're getting to my absolute favorite one, which I hadn't even thought of until I started doing the research. Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which is the animated movie they did based on the great Batman animated series. 
This was released in 1993. The composer is Shirley Walker as uh, an orchestral record. This one is a super well-rounded record from beginning to end. This is one that is just a really great listening experience. If you know someone that likes orchestral music, or I know we say classical music, that's not quite right because classical music is a time period, not a genre. You get the idea. But this is one you could just put on and listen to front to back. Um, this is the first time in a Batman theme song that we actually have a mass chorus. So we have these voices that come in that are singing as part of the theme song in this very epic, grandiose Latin. One thing I learned though, unfortunately, the Latin is just people who worked at Warner Brothers and they sang their names backwards. <laughs> I was hoping there'd be some really kind of cool deep meaning. There wasn't, unfortunately, uh, but it still really, really works. Um, it's a combination of Bella Bartok and Stravinsky. If Danny Elfman produced their record and Carl Orff helped with some of the emotional notes. Um, it just fits really well. And this one has more of a classic kind of sound to it. If you were to take this record and just retitle the songs and you didn't know it was a Batman album, it could be played by a modern orchestra or reinterpreted for a wind orchestra. And it would fit, it would fit very, very well. So I like this one quite a bit. Um, Probably my favorite Batman movie, so from my favorite Batman soundtrack. Ooh. But two things. With this one, at the very end, you listen to this great orchestral album, the very last track, I Never Even Told You by Tia Carrera. It's like, what? <laughs> what? How does this fit in? But then I went and double-checked Batman Returns, big, huge orchestral Danny Elfman record, last track, Face to Face by Sushi and the Banshees. So both those records have a random pop song at the end. So I'm not sure if that was like on purpose or if that was just a tag thing they started to do in the early 90s. A lot of uh, 90s CDs Weird. have that hidden track where it's like there's silence for, you know, 10 minutes and then a track comes up and it's a surprise. And maybe and I thought maybe that was like the end credit sequence, but even on the Bat on Batman Returns, the last track on the record is called End Credits. And then there's this gotcha. face-to-face at But the for end. all of you that don't like orchestral music, there's that one song at the very end, so still buy the album. That's got to be. It's okay, I'm putting thing. you on the spot, Brendan. you got 30 seconds to wrap it up before we continue this next week. Yes. All right. So, um, actually, that's a great spot to end right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go check out Batman Mask of the Phantasm. It's on iTunes. Um, it's just a good combination of good orchestral music. It has some contemporary notes to it and things as well. Next week, I'll be diving into Batman Forever. We'll start there. And then continue on.